Hello, sports fans. Hello, basketball fans, especially basketball fans. Rod Black here for another edition of the Rodcast. And today we go hooping with two great players, two great coaches, two great broadcasters, two great friends of mine. Leo Routens, Sam Mitchell, who I spent a lot of time in the booth, a lot of time on the sidelines, a lot of time in the studio with over the last few years. You're going to love this. Everybody, let's tip it off. Let's roll the Rodcast. The Rodcast with Rod Black, brought to you by North Star Bets. That's a win. Now here's your host, Rod Black. There they are. <laughs> My guys. Okay, hey, listen, listen, listen to this. Listen, listen. Oh, my God. <laughs> hey, man, people don't get the wrong idea about the three of us, right? You got to stop, man. Right. Or the right idea. <laughs> uh, I'm saying. I'm, I'm taking the field. My man, Leo Routens, uh, Sam Mitchell, the coaches, the players, the legends, uh, I spent a lot of time with these guys through the years. The three amigos. Yeah. As I'm still we, trying to recover from that, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we spent a lot of time in confined spaces, Sam Mitchell. Um, yes, we did. Uh, you know, everybody always talks about, you know, our, our panel and the stuff that we did and where we went and, of course, being part of the championship. I think a lot more people talk about, of course, the fart heard around the world. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we, hey, 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 you know what they say? Whoever I calls it, did it. No point. No point. No point. Sammy, Sam, clear it up for the history of mankind. Clear it up because you were there. Come we on, just man. Through it. We were about to come on and. No, no. Sammy's my guy. He's not. You're not there. That. No. No, no. Leo, you know I love you like my big brother, man. And Rod, I love you like my uncle. But I gotta tell the truth, Leo, you know it was you. You gotta claim. No, it, no, I can't. I, I, I'm not going up to it. Wasn't me. <laughs> Wasn't me. That's all I gotta say. If I recall, it, I had the Lysol bottle, and I kind of sprayed it in your direction. You were next. <laughs> well, to I was in the middle. Yeah, <laughs> Sam had to get rid of his suit after that, and actually, Sam had to shave his head. It was that was that awful. <laughs> it went come out my hair. <laughs> well, well, you know what? You know, but and, the, and, the and beauty of live television. The further proof that you did it, Rod, was the fact that you couldn't even talk because it was right there with you. You're, you're yeah. the host and you couldn't even talk. He man. couldn't breathe. Hey, Sammy, I warned you the first time we started working together. What did I say? Yeah. Mr. Nice Guy at the end of the table. Oh, there he is, sucking up to Coach Mitchell. I said to you, he has a bad ass. Yeah, you did. You did. And he proved You did. Yeah, he that. proved it. Beyond that, um, it was such a, a an honor and a privilege to share so much time with you guys. It was. And, yeah, and, and we had a lot of fun doing it, and I, I miss you guys uh, miserably. I, I also miss uh, watching the Raptors day-to-day, -day. and you guys are watching them day-to-day. -day. I like this team. I really like this team. Yeah, Rod, I like it too, man. I think Leo and I feel the same way. Look, when you – I was kind of apprehensive at first when you heard about positionless basketball and trying to put five guys on the floor who could pass, dribble, and shoot. And when you really think about it in depth, it makes sense. If all of your players on the court are skilled to where they can do the three main skills that basketball encompasses, then you have a chance to be pretty good. And then when you factor in the fact that all of the guys across the board are anywhere from 6'10 to 6'7", 6'8", that makes it more even interesting because Leo and I talk about this all the time. If I can switch a 6'8 guy onto anyone and keep him in front or just keep him off the block. And if you remember, when you're playing a guy like Joel Embiid or the Joker, you can always double-team those guys or force them out on the perimeter to try to shoot. So I like what the Raptors are doing. I like what Nick Nurse, how he's handling the roster. I would like to see Leo, and I think you would agree, see Nick go a little bit deeper into that bench and start developing some of those guys on the bench because as we've seen, Fred in minutes, when he plays too many minutes, he gets broken down. Pascal now is 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 on the end of reserve with a you know for at least a couple of weeks with a growing injury. So it's gonna force Nick to go deeper into that bench a little bit, which I think is a good thing, Leo, that will help them toward the end of the season. 
Yeah, I mean, I think you have bodies that you can go into. So, so I think it's a question of trust. Uh, put put trust in these guys and and let them in. But you know, I agree. I tell you what, you know, we all watch a lot of games, right? And I'm watching a lot of teams that I just don't like watching. You know, there's just a lot of teams that I'm going like, man, this is I I would I I kill myself I had to watch these guys every night. The Raptors are a fun team to watch. And, and like Sam's saying, you you got two-way guys, you got multi-position players, you got same size that can do all kinds of things, and they play with energy, man. These guys come out and play with energy every single night. Uh, they got guys that do different things. They, they, they got a lot of bounce to their game. So, to me, it's a fun team to watch. And a team that, you know, everybody's talking about championship. Are they a championship team? No. Are they close? Yeah. Is there a lot of championship teams? No. Golden State's the one team. Everybody else is close. So you know what? If you stay healthy, you keep playing your game, come to the end of the season, man. There's, you know, if, if you're healthy, other teams may not be, you've got a chance to go deep and maybe into the finals. You don't know. That's so close there. Yeah, you know, you guys, um, tough time to be a prognosticator or a better. Uh, I, I mean, I think in previous years, even in 2019, we knew the Raptors had a legit, legit chance. We knew, you know, the, the the powers, the superpowers have always had this legit chance. I, I, I wonder now, though, the way the game is right now, the style of play and the teams, how much parity there is in the league. Sam, I, I think if you get in, you could win. More Rob, than ever. The, yeah, you're right, Rob. For the first time in the NBA in a long time that I can remember. Remember, it's like the NFL. You have parity. No one knows in the NFL from year to year who can win the Super Bowl, right? And teams try to make deals at the trade deadline or at the end of the season they're kind of trying to get them over the hump. I think the same thing is true. Other than the Milwaukee Bucks, I will say this, and I've been saying this for the last three years, I've felt like the best team, if healthy, because they got the best player and the most dominant guy, Giannis, in the Milwaukee Bucks. I really feel like they're the best team. Uh, the most complete team when healthy. But that being said, if you look at, there are literally eight, nine teams that if they're healthy, they can compete for a championship. And I think the Raptors are one. I would like to see, Leo, the Raptors make a deal at the deadline because they do need to show up their backcourt because what we're finding out, without Pascal, Pascal is really the de facto point guard when you think about it. He leads the team in assists. He handles the ball a lot. And not to say Freddie is not good at it, because we saw last night Freddie put on a clinic. But we also know Freddie, when you play him a lot of minutes and a lot of games, he gets broken down. So I And if Nick Nurse doesn't have confidence in those guards, and I don't think Scotty Barnes, I would not add that pressure of him having to be the, the number one ball handler with Pascal out right now. So I would like to see the Raptors if they can by trade deadline, try to show up that backcourt and bring in another guy that can to run the things and, and, and keep them in flow. But other than that, I think they have as good a chance as anyone else to compete. Hey, you know what, Rod, you mentioned 2019. You know what happened in 2019? Kawhi Leonard, superstar, and a good team with an all-star, Kyle. But remember, prior to that, it was you got to get the guys. You got to bring in LeBron, James. Uh, you got to bring in Wade. You got to bring in Bosch. Everybody, you know, Durant's got to come to Steph Curry. You got to bring in all these guys. In 2019, that didn't happen, right? 2019, every team around the league said, whoa, these guys won a championship, and they didn't go out and corral every superstar in the game. And, and I think a lot of people were genuinely happy to see how the Raptors won. And now you look around the league, people aren't chasing superstars, right? Yeah, certain teams have their one guy, and then you have good players around them, maybe another all-star, whatever. But it's changed the dynamics of this league, and I think that's why we see parity. But we see teams now believe that they can win without breaking the bank and going out and getting, you know, three superstars to do it. So the Raptors kind of showed the blueprint uh, for the future, I think. Yeah, and there are a lot of generational players. Like, again – you know, when a LeBron James comes in, I would even say maybe even a John Morant or these superstar players that come in. Man, there are so many great players that are coming into the game, you guys. And another one around the corner. I mean, the, the Canadian players as well. I'd like to get a perspective from both of you guys. Uh, Sam, you can go first. Uh, just to where the, the game of basketball is, especially globally. I mean, there are so many diamonds out there. It's incredible. 
Yeah, Rod, man, look, you're right. The game is in good hands right now. You think about the players, and I say this all the time, and I say this to the American players with a caution. You better wake up and start paying more attention to fundamentals and learning how to play the game from the shoulders up. Why I say that? Look at the top players in the NBA today. If you start to rattle off the names of who you would say the top players, how deep would you go into that before you name an American player? Right? If you start off, I'm starting off with Giannis, the Joker, Joel and V. I mean, think about it. Those three got all from Europe. And so if you look at basketball in the United States, this is what we do. We play 50 games a weekend AAU. We don't do any drill work, no skill work. We play, these kids play 10 games on the weekend. But in Europe, think about what they do. They have basketball academies. They do drill work. They think the game. They watch them. They learn how to play the game, not only from the neck down, but from the neck up. And if, and if you're going to start being really good, especially in this game, you got to start looking at the skill part of it. It's great to go up and down and play. You need that. But you also need to learn how to play the game. And I think the game is in good shape. I would like to see the American players take a different attitude and a different approach because it's not all about athletics because as we've seen in the league, what do you do when your athleticism goes away at 32, 33 years old and you still want to play? So I think the game is in a great place, but I love the fact, Leo, that it's coming down to about skill rather than about athletic ability. The skill players today are dominating the game, and I love that. Yeah, and I tell you what, it, it, you, you hear what the international players say when they come to the NBA? It's easier. Yep. Right? <laughs> yeah, and you know why? Think about it. The international game is extremely physical. You don't have all the defensive restrictions, so you can clog the lanes. You can get into people. You can, you can hit people. And so what's happening is they come, they come to play the NBA, and, again, the fundamentals aren't sound here. So the Euro internationals come here and they go, you know what? This game's easier. I mean, Luka Doncic talks about how easy this is compared to what he's going to do <laughs> yes. in the Euros, right? And, and that tells you something right there. So these guys are being trained differently. They're exposed differently. And as a result, they come to the NBA. They go, man, I can play this game. And, uh, and then you mentioned the Canadians, Ron. Look at all the Canadians playing. Most, mm-hmm. most players outside of the United States in the NBA are Canadians. And that number is going to continue to grow. And from and you got guys like important roles, right? You know, Andrew Wiggins, you know, he had an important role with Golden State winning a championship. So the times have changed from just being on a team to now playing key roles on teams and multiple players on teams. Uh, you know, so it, it's great to watch. It's so much fun to see the game go like that. Rod and Leo, can I say one thing? I believe this with all my heart. If if a if a university in Toronto or in Canada had a Division One program, just recruiting the kids in Canada. You're a top 10 or top five program consistently, and I think you can win a national championship. If you think about the Canadian players, look at them, Andrew Wiggins and others. I mean, you got the talent here to compete for NCAA championship. And, you know, I, I would love to see Canada have a Division One program and play in the NCAA uh, tournament one day enjoying a conference because just with the talent alone in Canada, I think you can win the NCAA championship. Yeah. Oh yeah. Would be, you look at all the players that are spread around. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. That would be something. Uh, you know, I could sit and uh, pepper you guys with questions. Uh, and I, I used to get paid to do that, but I, I, I don't need to ask you. I love paid a lot of money to you. too. I love, Rod, I want you to promise me anytime you need me. Yeah. I know it's normally three of us, but if you need me, just shoot me a text. And you know, my friend, I will be there for you. You know that. I do want to. I do want to just chat with you a, a, a couple of seconds, though, about you guys. Like everybody knows, they see us on TV. They they see they've watched Leo since Leo's. A lot of people don't know he's eighty seven years old. I mean, they've watched <laughs> a long, long time. Sammy, they watched you as a player as well. Uh, Leo and I, I. Here's a here's a little known trivia fact. We um, our first game in Vancouver of the Grizzlies. Sam Mitchell was in that game against the <laughs> So, you, you know, I think you were about 10 when you were playing. But you know, I'd like to know, like, and a lot of people don't know the other side of you guys. And like, Leo, you love dogs and, you know, you love going for walks. And I know you like the nightlife. Uh, Sammy, I know you, you have, yeah, look at you. Yes, you do. Sammy, I know you have a great love of family, uh, of, of military. Uh, but maybe you can just chat a little bit about, 
the love of the game and where it started for both of you. And, and Sam, why don't you go first? Like, where did you pick up a basketball and, and how did you have this great passion for the game? Well, for me, guys, and I, and I give it to you in the cliff notes. My oldest brother played at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. He's seven foot one. He played in the European League. He was my idol. And then my best friend, Mark Upshaw, who was the state player of the year in Georgia, who played at University of Rhode Island, who taught me how to play, was also my idol. Guys, I was a fan before I played. I wasn't very good. I got, as a matter of fact, I got cut in the seventh, eighth, and ninth grade, and I was too embarrassed to go out in the tenth. And that's why I'm a military guy, because I was in ROTC. That was my niche. But, but you know, my junior year in high school, it all changed for me. My best friend got me in the gym. I made the varsity team. I was terrible. My first year, I averaged two points and 14 rebounds. But I put the work in, man, that whole summer, and I came back the next year, averaged 24 and 15. And that was it for me, because once I realized – Hard work equals success. And I figured as long as I have the ability and the mentality to work hard and not give up or give in, then I can achieve my dreams. And so I tell kids and anyone, man, if you're willing to put the work in and you believe in yourself, then you can do anything in this world is possible. That's definitely the ticket there. And so for me, it comes down to two things, I think. Just like <laughs> Sam, I had a big brother that played. So he, you know, he played for Canada. He had a got a scholarship to Niagara University in the States, and uh, he got drafted by the Buffalo Braves. So my whole goal in life was to be better than my brother, right? He got he got a scholarship. I wanted a hundred. He was he played for Canada. I want to be the best player for Canada. He got drafted in the NBA. I want to be a first round pick in the NBA. So everything I did was just to be better than my brother. And then the other thing is I'm Lithuanian, right? My family's Lithuanian, and so Lithuania, the national sport is basketball. So growing up in a hockey country. Uh, you know, we, people weren't playing or talking basketball, but all the Lithuanian kids, we were hooping, right? We had a, a church we could go to. And they, had co they had priests that were actually coming from the States, priests of Chicago that knew basketball, and they were teaching us how to play. So that whole environment, uh, we had tournaments. We played around the, in, in different cities in the United States. I guess I used to, as I was growing up, I'm playing against high D1 talent uh, that are Lithuanian, playing for these New York, Cleveland, Chicago. So my exposure to the game, uh, was very different than a normal Canadian kid. So that's how, that's how I got in the game. And then, again, my brother uh, and his exposure to bat ball in the U.S., uh, that opened things up for me. So uh, it really changed my picture, and, and I just fell in love with the game. Just like Sam, man, once you fall in love with the game, you work. You work, you have fun. You know, there's no such thing as a, as a bad day at the office because you just go in there, you have a bad game, go back and grind. That's it. Yeah. Hey, Rod, I tell kids, this is my favorite saying to kids. I tell them, find something in life that you love that will love you back. And basketball has loved me back. It educated me. It gave me the opportunity to provide for my family and to have a good life. And so I found something in life that I love, but it loved me back. I don't love anything that can't love me back. That's why, I, that's why I love you guys, because we all love each other. But, but hey, yeah, I, don't, hey, I, don't Sammy, I don't feel the love from you, right? Uh, I don't, yes, <laughs> hey, hey, Sam, you're going to love this story, though. So uh, as Leo mentioned, of course, and you know Leo was, you know, people can say everything about, and I know he'll humbly uh, deflect, but about all of the great Canadian players we have right now, this golden era. But if you go back to 1983, and Leo was the highest ever Canadian drafted, he changed the scope of the way the game was looked at uh, from the media and from Canadian basketball. So for me, when I was growing up as a young guy, I found a book and I saw this guy named Julius Irving, Dr. J. And I looked and I read the story and then I started watching. Remember the games weren't on very much, you know, they yeah. were hardly on at all, but every Sunday Dr. J was on, it seemed. And then, you know, I, I wanted, I practiced like crazy. Clearly I, I didn't make it as a player, but I, I loved Dr. J. So fast forward, 1983, young broadcaster boy right here. Uh, a, the Philadelphia 76ers who just drafted Leo Routens are coming to my town of Winnipeg to play an exhibition game against Kiki Vandeweghe and the Denver Nuggets. So I go to the airport because none of the sports guys, they all, they're all hockey heads. They didn't want to do basketball. I went, I was so excited. Who do I see first? Leo Routens. That's when our friendship began right there, who then hooked me up. And Leo can tell this story now. You'll love this story about Dr. J. Well, I, you know, Doc, Doc's, you know, first of all, 
you know, you, you have a lot of idols. I mean, I had posters of Doc next to my bed when I was growing up, right? And when you meet them, some of them let you down, right? Doc was amazing. He was even better in real life. But Rod had a, had a young man in Winnipeg that was terminally ill. And his goal in life was to meet Dr. J. And so Rod, Rod went out of his way. And I'll tell you what, really went out of his way to try to set this up with Doc. And he mentioned it to Doc. And actually, you, you tell it because there's some details I don't want to omit here. So I was nervous, Sammy, just meeting Leo Routens. Like, I mean, because I, I, I looked up to the guy. I went to a national camp once. I saw Leo and Jay Triano. I said, I can't make this team. So then Leo introduces me to Julia Serving. I honestly was genuinely nervous. I was almost sweat. And I sort of asked him a couple of questions. And then I told him about this kid and Doc. You know how Doc looks. He gives you that look over, uh, uh, you know. And, he, and I didn't know. I didn't pay any attention. I said, here's the kid. If you want to give him a phone call, whatever. Anyway, Dr. J doesn't play in the exhibition game. And the press rake him because he was missing his arthrotic shoes or whatever, and they said, "Oh, Doc, bag got Leo. stolen." Yeah, but it was a good thing for Leo because Leo, what did you get that night? I got some minutes. That's all. <laughs> I got <laughs> minutes. <laughs> so anyway, I, I get a phone call the next day, and it's this kid. His name was Jay Howard, who phones me. And goes, "Hey, Rod." I said, "Hello, it's Jay Howard." And I said, "Oh, Jay, how you doing?" And I thought, well, you know, I was going to apologize. Doctor Jay didn't go see him. He goes, "I just wanted to thank you because Doctor Jay." came to visit me in the hospital and brought me a jersey and a basketball. And Dr. J did that. And I, Sam, you know him. The dude goes out of his way, did it without publicity. If the kid didn't call me, and by the way, Jay Howard died probably a month later, but Dr. J made his dream come true. And Sammy, uh, you must have tons of Dr. J stories like that. Rob, my first time I met the doc, I'm my rookie year in... Uh, Houston, uh, my first exhibition game, we were playing the Philadelphia 76ers. And I can't remember, we were in Lafayette, Louisiana, I think. And when we landed, Dr. J had to take a later flight for whatever reason. And he got on our team bus because we were staying at the same hotel. And instead of sitting up front by the coaches and stuff, not only did he come to the back, but he stopped and sat by me, the rookies. He asked where the rookies were. And we were all sitting together. We raised our head. And he came and sat among us. He just talked to us the whole bus ride about the league, about what you have to do and how professional you have to be. And it was amazing, man, that Dr. J was actually sitting here talking to me, giving me pointers and direction on how to be a pro. And Leo said it. I ran into Doc about a week ago in Atlanta because he lives in Atlanta at the golf course. <clears throat> and again, He's such a gentleman. He's such a sweet guy. He is everything that you encompass, not only an athlete, but in a person and in a man. Hey, I tell you, Sam, my first time, uh, so I worked out <laughs> twice that day, and it was a golf function we had to go to with the Sixers. So I haven't met Doc yet, so I'm dying to meet him. So I'm in this big, huge room, like a ballroom, and the door opens at the other end, and Dr. J walks in. So I'm going, oh, my God, it's Doc, right? And all of a sudden, he comes walking across the whole room, Right to me, sticks out his hand. He goes, "Hey, Leo, Julia Serving, nice to meet you." I go like, "I know." Then he goes like, "And now you got to understand, I can't feel my legs, right? I worked out with the rookies, and I went back and played with the uh, college players in St. Joe's, getting ready for camp. So, and then we get this golf thing. He goes, "Hey, listen, I'm going to work out tonight. You want to work out with me?" I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, for sure." Right? <laughs> so, I couldn't wait to get home. I called everybody back in Toronto. I go, "Hey." Listen, I can't talk long. Me and Doc got to work out tonight. <laughs> and then, then, then you go there, man. It's like, but here's the funny story. I always tell kids, you got to pretend you're playing against somebody in the backyard. Imagine stuff. So I always used to tell kids, you heard of Dr. J? I used to kill him. You heard of Larry Bird? I killed him in my driveway, right? But they weren't there. They were in here. So all of a sudden, we're playing cutthroat one-on-one. Charles Jones, Andrew Tony, Dr. J. I got the ball and I look up and there's this guy, you know, his wingspan, he stretched out in front of me. I was like, go, whoa, I played against this dude before. I played against him in my driveway, right? So it's actually the, as crazy as it was, I felt comfortable because I imagined playing against him so many times. Here we are, we're balling. So that was something like, uh, like I said, you, you never forget that the first time you meet a guy like that. You know, the uh, beauty of uh, NBA basketball and unlike any leagues and, I've been fortunate to broadcast all these different sports and 
One thing that I think all of us agree on is that the NBA's players appreciate their forefathers more than any other sport, more than hockey, more than football, whatever sport that, more than baseball. Baseball's pretty good with the nostalgia too. But isn't it cool, Sam and Leo, when we go to all-star games and, and you guys have been involved in it and we've been involved as broadcasters and you see the reverence with which they treat the players who carved the path before them. I really think about Bill Russell, rest his soul, how much they, the players all would come up and shake his hand and look up to Bill Russell or the Doc or Larry Bird or whoever, I mean, through the years. What is it, Sam, about basketball that has created that? Just the respect of the guys who come before you and laid the groundwork. Leo, I tell you, people look at the money and the way the players are treated today. It wasn't always like that. Those guys that you mentioned, the Bill Russells, the Dr. J's, all of those guys, the Wayne Emery's, all those guys that came. Yeah, does a good job of, they do a great job of making sure we understand who our legends are and they keep them in the forefront of our mind. So I just think the NBA does a great job of making sure we know our history. And the players, when they come into the league, they understand the history and they understand the players who've come before them and they understand the respect and what it takes to continue on their legacy. And, you know, and I think a lot of these guys, like you said, Sam, you know, a Dr. J that would come and sit with you guys, the rookies, right? You know, you run into guys like Dominique Wilkins, guys, you know, all the legends when you see them, they're very, very – eager to talk to young guys and tell them what they got to do, tell them, you know, and, and they're very honest and upfront. And I think players respect that. Uh, you know, you see Charles Barkley on TV all the time. You may not like what he's saying, but he's always going to talk to you and try to try to tell you what you got to do and, uh, and not being afraid to do so. So I, I think a lot of these guys get a lot of respect because of that, uh, because they care, they care about the league and they care about the young guys. Did you guys, ever think i mean you knew that you were going to at some point become pro players but when did you think you'd become a coach sam you first rod man i just tell you for me for me rod it was just i was always told that sometimes life choose you you don't choose what you want to do in life and you know the military is something that always attracted me uh, some in, in the leadership is something that people always said I possessed. I never thought about it like that. But as I continued to play, uh, my coaches and teammates would tell me often that you think more like a coach than you do a player, that you're always thinking about others than yourself. And I just feel like, you know, basketball kind of led me into coaching. I never thought about wanting to be a coach, never said I wanted to be a coach. It's just kind of I just kind of drifted into that lane. And when Ernie Grunfield offered me an opportunity to be the fourth assistant with the Milwaukee Bucks, I jumped at the opportunity and it was the best decision I made other than playing basketball. Yeah. Same. Uh, it's interesting that uh, Rod, you were, that you were around at the time, Isaiah Thomas, when he was general manager of the Raptors uh, after the first season offered me an opportunity to be a, be an assistant coach. Uh, you know, they let go of Brendan Malone uh, and they hired Daryl Walker. They wanted me to be on the coaching staff with Daryl. And um, so it was a great opportunity. But it, for me, it just it, the timing just didn't fit. Uh, so I passed up on it. And, you know, maybe that was or wasn't a good idea. Who knows at the time. But uh, and then the opportunity to coach Canada came up where uh, I think the idea being that Canada playing for Canada meant the world to me. And Jack Donahue, who coached me for Canada, was one of the most instrumental and important people in my life. So the opportunity and the program hit a, hit a few struggles. And my whole idea was if I can help fix it, change the direction of the program, change the perception of the program, uh, I got to do it. And so I jumped at the opportunity uh, to coach. And, uh, and I don't know about you, Sam, but I'll tell you what, you know, what I miss about coaching is the kids, man. You miss the players. And yeah. uh, you know, to have the opportunity to, to, to help them change their lives in whatever way, give them, provide an opportunity. Uh, that's the biggest thing I miss about the coaching, not, not the X's and O's, the people. Do you guys miss playing at all? I mean, I, I, it's, it's a long time. I know you like to still, you know, take some shots once in a while, but I mean, what a grind that must have been for all those years and, and how hard it must have been on the body. Rod, I don't miss it. Uh, I miss coaching. 
I don't miss playing because I'm older. My body won't let me do it. And you have to learn to let things go as you get older in life. So I don't miss the coaching part. I miss more. I, I mean, the playing part. I miss more of the coaching because just at the stage of my life I am. Look, playing was great. I tell people this all the time. Nothing ever substitute playing. Ever. The second best thing is coaching. So at a certain point, you got to let playing go. So you kind of get past that at a certain age. But I do miss coaching, but I don't miss playing. Yeah, I mean, I don't miss playing either because when it hurts, when it hurts too much, it's not fun anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, my body paid a heavy price for my basketball career, but I do it all again. Uh, yeah. That's for damn sure. Like you yeah. said, like Sam says, there's no substitute for playing. So, uh, but uh, but I do miss the camaraderie, right? The hanging out, the bus rides, uh, you know, just, just being with the boys. Uh, I do miss that. that that's something that, uh, you know, some of your best stories, your best memories are just like with us, man. We hang out, we talk. Uh, those are the things you remember, uh, and and it's no different than when you played, man. You missed the camaraderie. Yeah, I obviously didn't play at the highest level like you guys did, but the closest, you know, you get to a championship, especially in 2019. Being with you guys, that was a special, yeah. special journey. Um, maybe for our viewers and our listeners, um, the thoughts and feelings when an NBA championship came to Canada. Sam, what are you? Doing? Well, for me, it was it was special because having been here as a coach, having won that first division title, put that first band up there, I felt like indirectly, and I never take credit for what the Raptors and Masai and those guys achieved. Nick Nurse, those guys did it, but I do felt like I helped lay the groundwork. You know, the Raptors sure. were not winning big before I got here. I remember when I first got here, there was barely basketball hoops and driveways when you ride out in the suburbs. Now they're littered. Uh, there's parks with basketball hoops. I remember my first year that we used to go christening parks when they were open, when they were open up, up basketball courts. We used to go there to christen those courts. So I do feel a, a, a pride that I helped lay the foundation, but never, ever would I ever say I deserve any other credit that Messiah and that uh, Nick Nurse and those guys did by bringing the ultimate, the championship. But I do have a, a, a sense of feeling and pride that at least I was part of. How can I put this? I put, helped put a few of the bricks in that championship building. No, you definitely did, Sam. I mean, hey, coach of the year, and you guys were a playoff team. You did a lot of great things. And all that does lead to a championship, right? A championship just doesn't happen. Especially some of the guys he had to coach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, the, 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 the culture of the organization doesn't begin overnight, right? So, uh, but I'll tell you what, for, for me, growing up in Toronto, being a Toronto kid, uh, seeing where basketball, where it came from, where it grew to, uh, the, the interest, the whole thing, that's what made it special. You know, I, it's not that I'm a Raptor fan, I'm a Toronto kid, and the Raptors are a Toronto team. And this is what I dreamed of. I dreamed of playing for a Canadian team one day. It never happened. Raptors came along too late. But the, the, when they were winning the championship and going through all that, all the time and all the, the growth of the game and all the things that, you know, I lived through to see it happen, that's what was going through my mind. And, and it was just amazing to think that. And remember when we were doing the games, over half the country was watching. Mm -hmm. Right. Over half the country is watching the NBA finals. And, and to think that, you know, Rod, when you and I were kids growing up in Canada, if you would have told somebody that half the country would be watching NBA, people look at you like you're nuts or the or that the popularity of the game would exceed hockey in terms of numbers playing. You would say that's crazy, but that's what it is. I mean, that's where we're at. And, and what was really cool, we were all there at the parade. And when you look down at the parade, that was Canada. Right. It was it was a mix of people, multicultural. It was it was amazing just looking down Squashed. and seeing that. And that's our together. Yes, yeah, exactly. But that's our country, right? That's what makes our country special. And and basketball does that for people. Basketball is a multicultural game. So it was pretty cool to see that all come together. Yeah. I, there was there must have been some pollen in the building in in, in Oakland that yeah. night though, because I, I my eyes were watering for some reason. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why, and I'm not a sentimental guy. It's just crazy. Uh, listen, guys, I know you got you got games to do. I know you got you're so busy with your prep. I know you've got uh, you got to get uh, 
your game face is on. I just got a couple more quick hitters for you before we leave. Uh, I know that Sam has to probably go pick up some Febreze for the studio. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) why you're not there, Ron? Oh, stop. (laughs) Okay, so these are quick hitters. Uh, You can go short or long. Uh, I'll I'll direct you. I'm going to start with something I probably know. Uh, your number, uh, Leo, I know you wore 11, Sam, I know you like 42 for, uh, a number of reasons, but Leo, why number 11? I know the answer, but tell everybody. Bob McAdoo, Buffalo Braves. Watch that dude come to Maple Leaf Guards and fire up the drop 48 on the Celtics, dunk it on everybody. I fell in love with, love with that guy in the game. And you know what the coolest thing about being uh, in our jobs? One day I walked up to him. I used to have this number 11. I used to walk up and say, Bob, you see this? It's because of you. And to be able to meet your hero when, like, in this environment, he, he and I think he honestly felt like flattered when I was talking to him. It was pretty cool. Nice, Sammy. Uh, you may have a few numbers, but I know you you like forty two. Well, James Worthy was one of my favorite players uh, as a small forward. I tried to model my game after his, and so um, and my best friend Mark Upshaw number was forty four. And I never felt like I was quite good enough to wear that number. So I settled for 42 because I didn't think I was good enough to wear 42, 44. Nice. Um, okay, quickly, uh, Leo, best uniform the NBA ever had? Who? Who? Uh, I don't know. I like the old Denver Nugget uniforms with the mountains. I, I like those. I don't know. Sam? I think when I played for Timberwolves, man, we had some black uniforms. We were one of the first teams to wear black have a, a, a set of home black uniforms, and we were all excited about that. So I would say the black uniforms that we had in Minnesota. Okay, Sam, the worst uniform you've ever seen in the NBA? Oh, man. I think those lime green <laughs> uniforms that the Timberwolves wear now. <laughs> I'm with just, you I just don't like it, and it just, it just don't appeal to me. No, okay. I'm with you. Uh, best basketball player ever, ever. Uh, Leo. Michael Jordan, man. Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Sammy? I'm going to say Kareem. I'm going to say Cap. Kareem, man. When you look at the numbers and what he did, and he did it on both ends, and he did it for a long time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for me. Sam, who would you have liked to coach in your career? Man. Well, I was pretty pretty fortunate. I had Chris Bosh. I had Kevin Garnett that I got to coach and also play with. But I could say if I could coach one guy, man, let me see. It would probably be Giannis, to be honest with you. I would like to coach Giannis because he embodies everything you want in a pro. He plays hard on both ends. He's continuously working to get better. And he plays in games. He don't miss games. And he just has the right attitude and the right disposition for me. Leo? I think I think magic, right? Because I know he'd make me a good coach. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a coach on the floor. It's all good. Well, uh, Sammy, who would you not have wanted to coach? Oh, man, that is a tough one. I, who would I? Well, Ross, see, I'm different. Being a teacher and a military guy, I have a belief that all players are coachable. And, yeah, if, and if a coach can't reach a player, it's the coach. Because guys don't get to this level and not be able to learn something. So it's not a, I don't feel that way about players. I feel like if a guy can't be coached, then it's on the coach. I like that. Leo, anybody? Uh, I, yeah, I agree. You, it comes down to you coaching, but the players I, I, I would not want to coach. Uh, I wouldn't want to coach Joel Embiid or jo- James Harden. That's nope. it? Nope. No, no, I just, nothing, uh, else, nothing else to say about that. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, Sammy, best play you ever made? Wow. Oh, I remember this play. I had turned the ball over when I was playing for the Timberwolves in, a, in a, a tough part of the game, at the end of the game, and the opponent who stole the ball was was going in for a, a, a game tying or, or to go up by one, and I dove a straight-out dive to tap the ball, and he went off his foot to save the game. I never forget that play. And I remember my high school coach used to always say, the game is full of mistakes, but when you make one, don't sit there and feel sorry for yourself. Try to do something to make up for that mistake on the defensive end. And just by hustling and giving my body up, 
I was able not only to rectify and make up for the mistake I made, but save the game. That's cool. That's cool. I, I got to go back to a, a, a college Big East championship. We're playing Villanova. It's end of the third overtime, and we're coming out of a timeout. And the, and the play was I, I'm the inbounds passer. I throw it in. The ball was supposed to come back to me, and I take the game-winning shot. Well, we had this guy on our team, Eric Sandifer, and when the ball went into him, I, I knew it wasn't coming back to me. <laughs> so, it, which was a good thing, you know, your teammate. So as soon as he got the ball, I went right to the basket. And he dribbled two dribbles, uh, foul line jump shot, missed, bounced right off. I was standing right there, boom, tapped it in. We win the Big East tournament. So uh, that, that's a shot that whether I want to remember it or not, and now the Big East has changed, but every Big East championship they used to run that over and over and over. So uh, that's kind of embedded in my head. <laughs> Beauty. Uh, Leo, you can start this time. Do you guys have a recurring dream or a recurring nightmare? Yeah. Uh, walking in the studio and Rod Black, you know, <laughs> <laughs> sitting there and Sam Mitchell next it's to me there. Breeze. <laughs> Sam in a gas mask. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> now, uh, you know, my dream I have, man, I feel like I never really got a chance to co complete my coaching journey, my coaching uh, opportunities. So I always have this dream that if I get an opportunity, I'm going to win either NCAA championship or NBA championship. And uh, I'm not yet ready to let that dream go. So I'm just going to hold on to it and keep dreaming it. I and I'll tell you that. what, you, you can't let that go because no. Sam can coach. And yes. Sam's great with players, and you watch him with all different ages, and I've seen it. This guy belongs on the, on the bench. He's got to be coaching again. You are absolutely right. Um, Sammy, your favorite song of all time, your one go-to song that you'd have to listen to. Hey, man, it's Candy. That's it, the song Candy by uh, Cameo, my hometown group, Atlanta. Can you give us a little? What is it? What does it sound like? Oh man, it's like <laughs> no, I'm not give gonna sing that. Come on, come on, come on! You but you know the studio. song. It's, it's it's cameo. It's it's song. Uh, can and I tell you what, they play it at every wedding. Any wedding you go to, they're gonna play this song because people line dance off of it. Oh, nice, Leo. Favorite song? Louis Armstrong. It's a wonderful world. Oh, it is. Uh, your favorite movie, Sam Mitchell, of all time, your one movie you can keep watching forever. Man, if I told you, I tell you, one of my favorite movies of all time was The Color Purple. Great one. I don't know why. It brought tears to my eyes. It made me sad. But The Color Purple is when, when I think about that movie and I watch it, it just brings back a lot of emotions. It's just such a good story that was told. Uh, and, and it makes me sad, but it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, that's, that's deeper to me. I, my, my favorite movie is the last one I saw, so I'm going with Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Maverick. Uh, the binge show, I know we watched a lot of stuff during the, the, the pandemic. The binge show you could not stop watching. Your favorite binge show, Netflix, Crave, whatever it was on. Sammy. Man, what was that show? Oh. oh, Game of Thrones. During the pandemic, my wife and I sat down and we started watching it. And we would stay up every night to about 5 o'clock in the morning. Because we would be like, oh, man, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. And I would look at her and say, everything is shut down. So what, what do we got to get up and, and do tomorrow morning? It's Groundhog Day. We're going to get up and sit in the house. So... We just went on a binge-a-thon of, of Game of, Game of Thrones. Hey, you're going to think this is weird. So I hate being cold, right? I hate being cold. And then visions of being cold drive me crazy. And Game of Thrones, every time they're talking, they got that steam coming out of their mouth and there's snow all over them. I couldn't watch the show because I felt cold every time I'm watching the show. It drove me crazy. It's like Civil War movies where horses horses in the mud and it's cold. I can't watch that stuff because it makes me cold. But Dexter, Dexter, I'd watch that. I, I love that show. No, not not the you would one. like some about the dig because so, yeah. sometimes you smell like it. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> you've you've contributed to to many um, studio camera operators. Oh, see now that that's just false. false uh, that, those are good shows, though, guys. Good shows. Horrible. Um, horrible. <laughs> uh, a comfort food, uh, Leo. You can go here. Your comfort food or favorite dish or food? 
Uh, I'm Italian, dude. I like I like my pasta. I love pasta. Let me see my favorite food. Probably Thanksgiving dinner. Just a traditional Thanksgiving dinner with turkey stuffing mm. and all the trimmers. That's just my my go to. And we're getting close to Thanksgiving too, guys. Yes, we favorite, are. Favorite favorite beverage, Sammy. Beverage. Ah, uh, mm, probably Heineken beer. I, for Leo, it's going to be a wine. I know that. Twine and red wine. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting closer here, guys. We're almost at the the, the, the buzzer here. Uh, four people. You got four people, not including us, because I know I like hanging with you guys. Four people that you can have to dinner or Sammy. I know you love to golf, to play golf, living or not with us. Who would those four people be, Sam? Man, it would probably be to hang out with my oldest brother, because I was a kid when he passed away, and I would have loved to hung out with him as an adult. To play golf with, obviously, Tiger Woods, just to pick his brain and watch him swing a golf club uh, would be amazing. Uh, who else? The other two people would probably be Abraham Lincoln, which would shock you guys, and Dr. Martin Luther King. That would be fascinating, though. That would actually, Sammy, that would be fascinating, especially having Lincoln and Martin Luther King at the same table or playing mm -hmm. golf. Yep, for sure. How about you, Rouse? Uh, go closer to home. Uh, no matter how oh, long man, you have them, key. Yeah, you know, how long you have them in your life, it's never long enough. If I could have one more dinner with my, my, my mom and dad, that'd be amazing. And, uh, you know, I mentioned Jack Donahue, uh, you know, changed my life. Right, gave me gave me the life that I have, uh, and and my high school coach. If I could have uh, dinner with uh, one more dinner with those guys and just hang out, that'd be a great night. Wow, um, penultimate question, second last. Um, let's go to Leo. If you were the NBA commissioner, you got to be Adam Silver for a day. And wait, 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 wait. I gotta add a fifth. I want to have. I want John Saunders to be there. Oh yeah, we need John. We need John back. Oh yeah, he's got to be at dinner. Yeah, yeah, and oh, you know what? You'd have John for as well, going out after dinner. Yes, the post loves going out after dinner with Johnny. <laughs> All right, uh, your commissioner for a day, Leo. You can make as many changes or no changes. What would you do? Uh, balls live on the rim, just like FIBA. So, Sammy, uh, if you were commissioner for a day. You could do whatever you want. Leo said live balls on the rim. What would you say? Uh, I would say the, the officials need to define what traveling really is. <laughs> Hell, I watch NBA games. I see guys take eight steps, and I don't know what traveling is. <laughs> I think the officials get caught up in watching the game so much. I would change that, and then I would also change – someone needs to explain to me why do officials feel like they need to know the time and score? Why do you need to know to score the game? Your job is to call the game. Why do you need to score? Why do why you knowing the score determines whether it's a foul or not? If it's a foul in the first half, that same foul got to be in the second half. So I, I argue with officials. Why do you need to know the score? Right? Are you saying there's a difference between regular season and playoff too? No, I'm just saying, Leo, you know what I mean? When a, I, know, I, I had an argument with an official. He said, well, a good official know the time and score. And I said, why? So you're telling me there are certain fouls you call in the first half, but if the score is tight in the second half, you won't blow your whistle. You need to explain right. that to me. We need to clean that up. Why do officials need to know the score? Right. I, I cannot wait till you get back on the sidelines, and you will. I, I promise you that. I, I can't wait to that mic's on and you're you're telling you're you're ripping. I got a lot of pinup frustration, guys, that I need to unload on hey, a couple of people. Rod, Rod, Rod. You know what I told Sammy the other day? You know, those are my best memories of Sam in Miami. <laughs> had the white suit on, he was styling, <laughs> and then the referee still got on his on his game, and then he just said he he, he got thrown of the game, but before he left, he goes, You, you and you. You know what he said in front of that, so I'm not going to clarify that. But he got each one of them on his way out the door. It was the best. Sammy. The best. That was the best getting tossed looking good ever. I've ever seen. Ever. <laughs> uh, final question. Uh, you can answer it this way. I, Leo Routens, or I, Sam Mitchell, owe my success in my life 
two. Sam. My basketball success, man, I owe it to my best friend, Mark Upshaw. He saw in me, I had no confidence as a kid. I had been cut for four years. I didn't believe in myself. And he saw something in me that I didn't see. And he just drove me to be good to the point to where I tell people all the day, all the time, I would not have been an NBA player if it wasn't for my best friend, Mark, because he saw something in me that I just didn't see in myself. And he would not let me quit or give up on myself. Yeah, I mentioned the name before, Jack Donahue, right, for me. I got cut by the interior junior team. Uh, when I, and and I'm, I thought I should have made the team, even though it was like 21 and under. I was 16, barely 16. And uh, then I got invited. I, there was an open national training camp, and uh, my dad convinced me to go. I didn't want to go because I figured I'm going to get cut again. What's the point in going? And my dad convinced me of going, and uh, Jack Donahue pulled me out after five minutes. I was on the court for five minutes. He pulled me out. I go, here goes. He's going to tell me, thanks for coming out. You're too young, the whole bit. And he goes, I want to bring in a national camp. And he changed my life. He gave me a platform. He taught me how to be a player. He taught me how to think the game. Uh, he told me I'm going to be an NBA player. Uh, he made me believe in myself. So it was amazing. Well, guys, we can uh, thank those men for uh, doing what they did because it created two legendary dudes. Um, I could sit and chat with you all day. I always like that. Uh, next time we do this, let's do it over a wine or a Heineken. Uh, I miss you guys terribly. It's so nice to be. <laughs> love you guys uh, so much. Love you too, man. You, uh, we're, uh, we come from such different backgrounds, but I know we're brothers for life. Uh, can't wait to chat. Can't wait to see you guys again. Thank you for sharing today. Thank you for always caring. And Sam, before we go, we must get from you. A zero, zero, zero. zero. Come on, zero. Man. Hey, guys, zero. I, I once had a player playing the game, and I started him in the lineup. And let me tell you what he did. He did zero, zero, <laughs> zero, zero. He, I actually did more on the sideline coaching and then entered the stat line than he did, and he played 28 minutes. Yeah. Well, there are some zeros in life, and then there are some heroes like you guys. Thanks, guys. Love you. Love Thank you, guys. You, we're always reunited, though, because uh, every time I see those guys, it's uh, just like yesterday. And uh, we'll see each other a lot in the future as well. Maybe, who knows, we'll, we'll resurrect those guys and, and do a, a three-way, three-amigo basketball podcast someday. Maybe that's in the works down the road. Leo said something really cool, too. He said about, you know, when you get a chance to meet your hero and they are as good as they are in real life. And I can tell you, those two guys are just like they are in real life. Authentic, smart, great basketball minds, and they've got great, great hearts. So thanks to Leo, thanks to Sam, thanks to you. We'll see you next time on The Rodcast. The Rodcast with Rod Black, brought to you by North Star Bets. That's a win.